0: A game-changing defense strategy all about tackling the China concerns. The Pentagon's teaming up with its most trusted allies in the Indo-Pacific for a fresh security pact. The race for the 2024 White House zooming in on Taiwan. Two candidates highlight their policies toward Chinese aggression if they get elected. Inside China, fierce competition and dwindling rewards are challenging rideshare drivers. A lot of idle labor will enter the market and a major overseas lender facing a domestic debt bomb. China's total local debt hits a whopping $23 trillion. Can China contain the crisis, or will it boil over Welcome to China In Focus, I'm Tiffany Meyer. A united front against China. A new deal just signed between Australia and Japan is the latest game-changing defense cooperation in the Indo-Pacific. The new security deal relaxes immigration control for troops, boosting joint military training and exercises between the two countries. It also streamlines the process for transporting weapons and ammunition. Australia now joins the U.S. as the two countries to boast such an arrangement with Japan each side is sending fighter jets for combined training later this month in the event of a conflict Australia's early warning systems could help the US and Japan detect missile launchers in the region allies are banding together to face an increasingly aggressive communist China This builds on the Quad Alliance between the U.S.-Australia-Japan and India and the AUKUS framework between the U.S.-U.K. and Australia. The U.S.-Japan and South Korea are also working together to address nuclear threats from North Korea, with the possibility of including the Philippines. President Biden is set to broker a crisis hotline between Japan and South Korea this Friday at Camp David in Maryland. The Biden administration has been expanding security agreements in the Indo-Pacific, but none are explicitly aimed at militarily containing China. U.S. presidential hopefuls are bringing the heat on China to the campaign trail this week. And as more and more of the world's focus falls on Beijing's threat, two presidential candidates are laying out their Taiwan stances. First up, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. A new campaign ad outlined his plan for a new farming bill.
1: I will stop China from buying our farmland and I will fight for fair trade to ensure our farmers have access to foreign markets.
0: The bill would seek to strengthen food security, create growth in rural communities, stop the Chinese Communist Party from buying up U.S. farmland. Next is Republican Vivek Ramaswamy. His policy is to defend Taiwan in case of a Chinese invasion, at least until 2028. Speaking on the Hugh Hewitt Show, Ramaswamy addressed Chinese leader Xi Jinping, saying do not mess
2: with Taiwan. That commitment is only as far as 2028, by which point I will have led the United States of America to achieve semiconductor independence. And we will not take the risk of war that risks American lives after that for some nationalistic dispute between China and Taiwan.
0: He also said he'd shift Washington's current approach from strategic ambiguity over Taiwan, refusing to declare whether the U.S. would send troops to defend the island to strategic clarity. A pair of breached email accounts belonging to a U.S. congressman The FBI says suspected Chinese hackers were able to assess both his personal and campaign email accounts. Nebraska Republican Don Bacon is a vocal supporter of Taiwan and a critic of the Chinese regime. In a social media post, Bacon said the hackers only got access to political strategy and fundraising information. He says the FBI told him about the breach Monday. Bacon is the first known lawmaker to fall prey to an alleged Chinese espionage campaign. Hackers also breached the unclassified email accounts of senior State Department and Commerce Department officials in May, including the U.S. Ambassador to China and Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo. More and more job seekers are turning to options like ride-share driving to make ends meet. That's the case in China, where the market has seen a 7% increase in recent months. What hints does this offer about the nation's unemployment troubles? Let's dive in.
3: As China's job market shrinks, a rush of newcomers is oversaturating gig economy jobs like ride-hailing. It's eating into the income of existing full-timers like Li Min and dragging out his work hours. He's near Shanghai's most prominent train station, which used to be a hot pickup spot. But he's out of luck. Or possibly, the competition for customers is now just much tougher. I must persist because after all, due to the effects of the pandemic, even if I want to give up this job, it's difficult to find other jobs now. There is no other job to find. China saw 400,000 new registered ride-hailing drivers in the sector between April and July, flooding the market with a 7% surge. It comes as the world's second largest economy has sputtered, trying to pivot out of some of the world's harshest lockdowns, with youth unemployment soaring. China's Statistics Bureau said on Tuesday it would suspend releasing youth jobless data after record-high readings, over a fifth unemployed as of June. Market analyst Wang Ke points out ride-hailing naturally became the first choice for quick cash for a growing number of jobless people.
4: Because of the impact of three years of the pandemic, many companies and small enterprises may have gone bankrupt or gone out of business, so a lot of idle labor will enter the market. There's also been a sharp decline in the number of jobs.
3: Some cities like Shanghai have suspended issuing new ride-hailing permits. But even with less drivers, economists say making a living is likely to become more difficult for many people in China as it enters a period of much slower economic growth for many in the ride-hailing sector, each day is bleaker than the last, working longer hours to earn the same money they did months ago. It's the only option for those with family to support, like Zhu Zemin, who spends 15 hours behind the wheel. The only thing on my mind every day is just making money because our parents are getting old. My kids are going to junior high, high school. Conditions for my family aren't great. So why am I so hard-working? It's because there are a lot of ways my family needs
5: to use the money.
0: China's official data says over a fifth of its young workforce are unemployed as of June. The Chinese regime has a history of under-reporting data that reflect poorly on its economy. Frank Xie, professor of marketing at the University of South Carolina Aiken, says the real number could be as high as 30 percent. The spotlight on China's financial woes tends to focus on Beijing, but the nation's financial challenges reach much further, all the way down to local branches of government under the Chinese Communist regime. Local-level debt is now estimated at $13 trillion, equivalent to one-third of China's GDP, or $9,000 per Chinese citizen. China's state council sent officials to over 10 of the country's most financially weak provinces with a goal of reducing debt. But the post-pandemic climate has presented a challenge. The impacts of Beijing's strict lockdown orders are still wreaking havoc on demand. While trade tensions have led to U.S. restrictions on high-tech exports to China. That uncertainty driving foreign companies to seek greener pastures and relocate to other countries. Tesla now pushing another round of price cuts. The American car maker announced the move for its Chinese business, sending its shares lower on Monday. Here's the story. The starting prices of two
4: versions of its Model Y SUV will be slashed by 14,000 yuan, or about $2,000 each. The electric vehicle maker also said it would offer insurance subsidies of 8,000 yuan, or about $1,100, for buyers in China of its Model 3. The cuts further raised investor worries about the EV makers' profit margins. A similar price drop last month came despite a pledge made along with several other companies in China to avoid so-called abnormal pricing, which some thought signaled a truce in the price wars that have threatened corporate profits. Last month, Tesla CEO Elon Musk said further price cuts were a possibility, even if it squeezed the company's margins. Tesla has slashed prices several times in the U.S., China, and other markets since late last year and has offered other incentives to reduce inventory as it tries to shield itself against competition.
0: News on the U.S.-China chip war. U.S. chip giant Intel's latest buy-up is going belly-up. Worth $5.4 billion, the deal's flatline leads back to China. The corporation put a stop to the plan with Israeli chipmaker Tower Semiconductor after it failed to get approval from Chinese regulators.
6: It's bizarre that they would block this deal. I would say that the, uh, the only reason I can think of is that the Chinese government wants to retaliate against U.S. government and U.S. businesses for US sanctions tech export to to China.
0: Intel expected to boost its chip production through buying the Israeli chip maker. The agreement was struck in 2022, and at a glance poses no threat to the world's second largest economy. Ending the deal comes with its own bill, costing Intel over $350 million. Tower Semiconductor's stock also sank on the news, seeing a 11% decline on US-listed shares. As for why a U.S. tech giant needed Chinese approval?
6: China uh, in these uh, antitrust regulations you know, requires that all foreign businesses you know, operating in China with a major business de- uh, presence in China uh, that, uh, to, to have their uh, the government approval for any merger or acquisition. They both have business in operations in China. So that's why they're subject to uh, regulatory approval by the Chinese government.
0: In 2022, Beijing expanded its antitrust law for the first time in 14 years. The act gives Beijing more authority to impose penalties or regulations on companies operating inside China. Is Beijing beefing up its military ties in Washington's backyard? According to China's Defense Ministry, one of America's closest Middle East allies has agreed to hold its first-ever military drill with China this month. The United Arab Emirates, or UAE, is known for its rich oil resources. The Gulf state also sits on a critical maritime location. Its troops have served alongside U.S. soldiers six times. Its military is also equipped with some of the most advanced weapons the U.S. has sold in the region. Addressing the drill with China, a UAE official said it's designed to support efforts to enhance international peace and stability. The two countries plan to hold a joint air force exercise in China's northwest, the Xinjiang region. A Middle East policy expert told CNN that the UAE views its relations with China as a tool for negotiating its ties with the U.S., particularly in areas like defense and security partnership that are falling short of their expectations. The race to space is heating up, and China and Russia are stepping up efforts to overtake the U.S. Moscow on Friday launched its first lunar mission in almost 50 years. That's as Putin works to set up a base on the moon. Here's a closer look.
5: What's driving the new race to the moon? Major powers like the U.S., China, Japan, and the E.U. have all been probing the moon over recent years. A Japanese lunar landing failed last year, and an Israeli mission failed in 2019. There's been a focus on the South Pole, where no country has been able to reach yet. Rough terrain makes landing difficult, but the prize could be historic. Ice that could be used to extract fuel, oxygen, and drinking water. Russia and India are racing to get there first.
1: There's always been speculation that there's water on the moon. And that's important if you, if you want to build permanent settlements on the moon. So I think what Russia is trying to do is really spearhead that investigation and like be at the forefront of it. So this, the fact that they're exploring the South Pole isn't an accident.
5: Astronomers have wondered about water on the moon for centuries, which is 100 times drier than the Sahara Desert. It was only in 2020 that NASA confirmed the existence of water there. India sent up its Chandrayaan-3 lunar lander last month, after the Chandrayaan-2 failed in 2019. But Russia may also have political ambitions behind its space missions, especially as it faces sanctions from the West over the war in Ukraine.
1: First and foremost, it's an expression of national uh, power on the global stage. Russia wants to go to the moon, partly to assert its national place on the, with the big big guy, so to speak. China has already announced plans to return humans to the moon. The US has a major program called Artemis that it is uh, in in the middle of. So there's a lot of activity going on. Uh, Russia, because it lacks the economic power of the United States, has allied with China. So it's possible that what the Chinese do, the Russians may actually piggyback on top of that um, in the next 10, 15 years.
0: NASA sent out an earlier warning about China's space ambitions. Space Agency Chief Bill Nelson said before that Beijing and Washington are locked in a space race and that if China wins, it could try to claim ownership of parts of the moon. China sent the final modules of its own space station into orbit last November, completing the country's answer to exclusion from the International Space Station. Beijing has also been investing in aerospace technology. Another big story to look out for, China's floundering economy and the looming tension over the Taiwan Strait. Could its economic woes hinder Beijing's plans for a possible invasion of Taiwan? Stay tuned for expert insights. That and more coming up tomorrow on China in Focus. Coming up, Beijing's ambition for dominance flowing into outer space. NASA warning China is looking to take control of the moon and deny the U.S. access to it. How big of a threat is this, and what should Washington's foreign policy look like when it comes to space? We speak to Brandon Weikert, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower for Insight. That and more in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The U.S.-China battle for dominance is spreading into space. NASA's chief warning that Beijing could turn parts of the moon into the next South China Sea. What's at stake? And how could it impact the United States? We hear from Brandon Weikert, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower for Insight. Let's get to it. Brandon Weikert, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. NASA's head Bill Nelson is warning that if China gets to the south pole to the moon first, they could potentially deny us or other countries access. How real of a threat is this?
2: Uh, that is a significant threat. The Chinese believe that by t- at least 2030, they will be on the moon permanently. Although the Chinese Space Agency is saying they, can think, they think they can get there by 2027. NASA, on the other hand, is saying it won't be till 2030, 2032, that they will be able to get permanent boots on the moon.
0: And so it sounds like given those timelines that have been laid out, we're kind of falling behind here. How? What's at stake for the U.S. if we don't get there first?
2: Well, not just pride, obviously that is a big issue, but um, really it's the future of uh, the international order because if you can control the strategic high ground, uh, you basically can write the destiny of the Earth below. And maybe people don't realize it, but the moon is very much a part of that strategic high ground. It's not just the Earth orbits, it's uh, the Earth-Moon system. And that's certainly how military planners need to start looking at it. It's certainly how the Chinese planners are looking at it. You and I have spoken about this before, but the head of China's lunar program in 2019 is on the record as saying Chinese leaders view the universe as the ocean, and they view the moon as the South China Sea. And we know what the Chinese are doing in the South China Sea. They're annexing it illegally. So you can apply that logic to the moon. And they want to control the moon so they can control the lower orbits around Earth and then ultimately control the Earth.
0: And on that note seems with the South China Sea there's a lot of resources there as we're talking there's a lot of resources in the South China Sea of the skies the moon and with this apparently it's talking about the potential for water on the moon and it seems there's a lot of pollution on earth here a lot of water is no longer drinkable. What happens if we are denied that.
2: Well, the first thing to understand is the reason that they're interested, everybody's interested in water on the moon and that ice that can be melted down. It's to sustain a human, permanent human colony. And the South Pole has, they think, that in abundance. It's easily accessible and easily meltable ice in large quantities. And so any human settlement will need to be near that water source.
0: And why do you think right now it seems that China is ahead in this race compared to the U.S.?
2: Well, the future belongs to whichever group of people want to control the future more. And sadly, the Chinese, while they still remain the second or third most powerful space power, depending on who you ask, um, Russia's as well in there in that top three. um, the, The Chinese, though, very much are... Throwing as many resources as possible into dominating space in a way that the United States, despite having so many advantages, despite having won the previous space race with the now defunct Soviet Union, uh, we simply haven't cared much about. We've taken it for granted, our access to space. The Chinese are going to show us, I think, why we shouldn't have been taking it for granted.
0: And on that note, it seems the Chinese, actually you've talked about this before, how China's foreign policy in space is to not just dominate it, but also to deny Americans or other countries. They don't like access to that. So what should our foreign policy be when it comes to space?
2: Well, the first thing we need to do is not lose whatever advantages we have in space. So we need to start really expanding our investment, uh, both at the private sector level and in the public sector with NASA. Space Force needs to step in and start building out the capabilities to make our satellites more survivable, because that's part of the denial attempt by China to deny us access uh, to space in a time of crisis. They want to target our satellites and knock them out of the sky. And Beyond that, We need to be investing heavily in the capabilities that I was talking about earlier. The space mining sector, it's believed the world's first trillionaire will come from that sector. It's a question of who will be the trillionaire, from which country will they come from. And I'd rather it be an American uh, rather than a Chinese citizen uh, simply because of the fact that Chinese business is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. And so some of the things that we need to do, the biggest thing, though, is investment. We need to invest in our space policy for the long term now.
0: Brandon Weikert, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.